After all, he's not a tame brain. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could do this type of thing. If you guys were the same you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, hello there, and welcome to the second episode of Story War. I'm really excited that you're here, and I'm especially excited about what we're talking about in today's episode. And what we're talking about is a war of ideas within the church. And it's a war between the ideas of costly grace versus the ideas of cheap grace. And the person that we're going to be looking at and reading a lot from to grapple with this idea is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, to explore who Bonhoeffer was a bit more, he lived from 1906 to 1945, and he was a well-known Lutheran pastor and theologian. He was also an anti-Nazi dissident, which means that he stood up and uh, disagreed with the Nazis. Another interesting thing to note that really gives us insight into Bonhoeffer was that he was also a key founding member of the Confessing Church. And to explain what the Confessing Church is, is that the Confessing Church was a movement within German Protestantism that arose in the 1930s in opposition to the single government-sponsored pro-Nazi German Evangelical Church. So in the 1930s, the German government was very conformist. You either had to align with what the government said, or be censored, or shut down, or even destroyed. And so what the Confessing Church was really, what it really was, was a movement of revival and resistance against the state-backed confederation of churches. So by the outbreak of World War II, the leaders of the Confessing Church were high targets of the German state. But then by 1948, after the fall of Nazi Germany, the Confessing Church ceased to exist when the territorial churches formed and recognized the Evangelical Church in Germany. So there's a reunion of the German Evangelical Church. From that, you can clearly see that Bonhoeffer was deeply convicted about a Christian duty in a secular world, which led him to write books on the subject, to teach and preach. But during World War II, in 1943, after a failed assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler, Bonhoeffer was arrested and imprisoned in Berlin, and he was then later moved to Flossenburg concentration camp, where he was later executed by the German intelligence. But before and during his imprisonment, he was quite a proficient writer, writing quite a few books on theology and Christian living, as well as a few letters. His most famous one being The Cost of Discipleship, which is actually going to be the basis of today's episode. To get a little bit more information on that book, The Cost of Discipleship was published in 1937, right before the outbreak of World War II. And what it was, was a study on Christ's sermons on the Mount and the Pauline epistles. It was also written in part as an attack on the false doctrine of cheap grace, which is the main thing we're going to be talking about, about this war between ideas of costly grace versus cheap grace. And this isn't just some dead false doctrine in the church past. As we're going to see, this is something that is really still prevalent in the church and is especially prevalent in the church in the West. 
So the first chapter of the book starts with costly grace. And Bonhoeffer writes this. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks, wares, the sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Bonhoeffer continues, Cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, the love of God taught as the Christian conception of God, an intellectual assent to the ideas is held to be of itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. The church which holds the correct doctrine of grace has, it is supposed, ipso facto, which uh, ipso facto is Latin for by that very act. So by that very act, a part in that grace. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less in real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. All right, let's break this down, shall we? What Bonhoeffer is saying is simply this. Churches that preach this cheap gospel doctrine, this cheap grace, put forth a quote-unquote Jesus who requires no repentance, no conviction about life, and Bonhoeffer argues this eventually leads to the outright denial of the living, active word of God. And in fact, it leads to the denial of the incarnation of God. So in a very literal sense, the incarnation of Christ. This may seem like a small thing when it starts out in the church, but if followed to its logical conclusion, it undermines the very foundation of our faith. The Monhoffer continues, Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. All for sin could not atone. The world goes on in the same old way. And we are all still sinners, even in the best life, as Luther said. In short, what Bonhoeffer is saying is cheap grace demands that we love the sin and hate the sinner. Cheap grace perverts the reformational doctrine of sola grata, or saved by grace alone. It's said in English, and he reminds us by quoting Martin Luther that even the best of us are still sinners and require from salvation from our sins, right? The only, that only Christ could pay for our sins. Then Bonhoeffer defines what cheap grace is, not just what it does, okay? He's already talked about that, but he's telling us what it is. He writes this, Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. And here's his definition. Get this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. All right, you can imagine what Bonhoeffer would think of the church now. Remember, he wrote this in the 30s, 
specifically in response to the German church, but also to the church as a whole. It's in a sense the same thing we're falling prey to the ideas of the post-Christian culture. Where we want the kingdom of God without the king, right? We want all the benefits of grace without the cost. If you are actively involved in the church, you'll probably recognize this as one of the biggest problems we are facing today in the church as a whole. But then Bonhoeffer explains what costly grace is, and this is beautifully poetic. Full of biblical energy, this is what Bonhoeffer writes. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field, for the sake of the man who will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price, to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, in which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Then Bonhoeffer gives us the why, right? He tells us why this grace is costly. He says, Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought with a price. And what it has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. What Bonhoeffer is saying is that we have undervalued the sacrifice of Christ. That cheap grace says that John 3.16 is pretty and all, but it's not that big of the deal. That God gave up his one and only begotten son. Costly grace, on the other hand, is different. Because as Bonhoeffer says, what costs God much cannot be cheap to us. And that it calls you to follow Christ at a great personal cost. So what does this mean? How do we fight this doctrine of cheap grace in our modern world? How do we live a life of grace that has cost much. We're going to get there, but first, I would just like to say thank you. We are a brand new podcast, and we're excited about all the different things that we're going to be talking about in the coming days, and we're just really grateful that you've decided to join us on the adventure. If you could, it would be really helpful to us if you could hit that subscribe button, and if you are really liking the show, please give us a five-star review. If you want to post it on Instagram or talk about it to your family and friends, we'd really appreciate it to help get the word out. If you want to keep up with the sh- what the show is doing and what Project 68 and Lamp and Sword is doing, you can follow us on Instagram at Project 68 underscore guild. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me at Inkling1776. Now, back to the topic at hand. How does cheap grace affect us today? 
If you haven't seen similarities between what Bonhoeffer was writing about in the 30s and the church today just from the cost of discipleship, let me break it down further for y'all. There has been a resurgence of cheap grace in our modern day, just under the new name of hypergrace. It's the same message, just wrapped in a new package. It preaches a soft gospel that requires no response. And get this, a hard truth softens hearts. A soft truth hardens hearts. C.S. Lewis saw this problem and wrote about it in his book, Mere Christianity. He wrote this. Very well then, atheism is too simple. And I'll tell you another view that is also too simple. It is the view I call Christianity in water. A view which simply says there is a good God in heaven and everything is all right leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell and the devil and redemption. Both these are boys' philosophies. Then the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon put it in this way, Avoid a sugared gospel as you would shun sugar of lead. Seek that gospel which rips up and tears and cuts and wounds and hacks and even kills. For that is the gospel that makes alive again. And when you have found it, give good heed to it. Let it enter your inmost being. As the rain soaks into the ground, so pray the Lord to let his gospel soak into your soul. Lewis and Spurgeon are both saying, in much the same way Bonhoeffer was, that without recognizing and talking about sin, without addressing the reality of the devil, demons, and hell, without the times painful truths of the gospel. There's no need for redemption because nothing's wrong. But something is very wrong in this world. There is something very wrong in each of us and that's the good news of costly grace, true grace. You don't need to add anything to Christianity or take anything away because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. Think of the lyrics of Amazing Grace, right? Written by John Newton in 1772, and then published in 1779. These are the words he wrote. Listen to them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. This saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So I will leave you with that, the amazing, costly grace that was purchased for you. So as Paul would say, may grace and peace be upon you. Till next time, signing off.